Welcome everyone to the Bolt from the Blue podcast and uh, we've got a great uh, little hour to talk about uh, all things Manchester City against Chelsea. We're going to start off and welcome uh, the participants. First of all, Bernard. How are you doing, Bernard? Oh, I'm wonderful. I've got I've got my layers on and I've got my blanket on and I've got my house coat on. Apart from that, we're all right because I'm was pretty soft up north here, aren't we? I don't know how these Geordies do it with stripping the shirts off, you know, when they go to <laughs> St James's Park. I'm flipping freezing, mate. Probably my age, but there you go. Bernard, you need some inflatable tits for that. <laughs> don't talk. Let's not talk inflatables yet, please. <laughs> okay. Next on your list is Colin Savage. Colin, thank you. Good evening. Yeah, it is a bit nippy here. As I say, I'm just saying I've been out most of the afternoon and I don't put my heat, heating on automatically normally. So I've come into a, I only put it on when I need it. So I've come into a pretty chilly house, uh, to put it mildly. So I'm just trying to get warm. But I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the talk will, chat will warm us all up. And we've also got Ray in the house. Ray, thank you for hey, coming hey, on. Hey, guys. <laughs> I always keep my heating on all the time. I'm used to warmer climbs, me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Milro. okay guys so manchester city one chelsea nil uh bernard let's start off with uh, you what do you think about the lineup mate yeah the only only thing i was a bit puzzled about was diaz of course uh obviously initially when i saw the line out i didn't see what was on the bench so i thought he must have been one of our covid guys because pep did say we had a few new ones but obviously based on (laughs) That, that team and the, the bench, uh, we didn't really, did we? I could only see Zinchenko and Aki missing. So, uh, obviously, apart from Diaz, which is an odd one, but, uh, yeah, I, I was quite happy with that. And it didn't surprise me. Obviously, uh, Sterling getting getting another start. Grealish might have been a bit of a funny one, but I had half a mind that would give Grealish a goal. So, yeah, certainly certainly capable, a capable enough team on its day to, to beat anybody again. And what did you think, Colin? Uh, yeah, same as Bernard. A bit surprised to see uh, no Diaz there. I'm sure there was a reason for it, but uh, his his replacement quitted quitted himself uh, admirably. Uh, and again, I, I would have expected to see Gundogan there, uh, maybe rather than Grealish. But um, as Bernard said, no. I mean, that's a lineup that should um, you know, should be able to to take care of it. But of course, this is one of the really the two must win. Oh, I say must win. They're not must win, but. Uh, the two games that if we win this this game, uh, the Liverpool one coming up later, we win those. We're, we're pretty well got the title in our pocket. So yeah, um, it, it was um, yeah an interesting lineup for a game. I thought that um, I say what we, we really needed to win to put Chelsea out of the uh, title race. So let's let's talk about the uh, the first half. What were your thoughts, uh, Ray? Um, yeah, first half. I think for the first, I thought Chelsea were were okay. They were very tight, compact, ultra-defensive. Uh, I mean, you know, you got all opposition fans and uh, uh, what, what do we call them? Fanzine posing, uh, editors or writers posing as journalists uh, in, in the national papers who talk about City being boring, but that's because the teams that come to Manchester, they're just part of the bus, you know, and, and Chelsea part of the bus. So they had all that, all those defenders, was it two defensive midfielders, five defenders, um, they had a, they had a, the odd chance or two. We we always seem to give up something. Uh, I mean, and you, and it's likely because they're not they're not a bad team. They have got some good players. Uh, obviously, you don't you're not champions of Europe unless you've got a few good players. Um, but overall, I think we were you know after the first say 15, 20 minutes, I think we got into our stride. We controlled the uh, the uh, the tempo, the game. Uh, we had a, a couple of um, 
chances, half chances. I think one decent one from our man Jack. Um, yeah, so it was a it's a pretty reasonable first half, except we didn't score. What were uh, some of the moments of the half for you, uh, Bernard? Yeah, I mean the first the first one obviously was the obviously it could be a, it could have been a Chelsea song in years to come, doesn't it? It could have in years to come. It could be a Stone slipped and KDB cried or something like that because obviously uh, John Stone stumbled into you let Lukaku through. Uh, I think midway through the first half, I think that was before, you know, it hadn't been a, the most exciting game by then. I think City would have had a couple of half chances, but uh, yeah, from our end, up the other south stand, it just looked as though he's going to plough through and get a shot in on goal. And we, we were a bit confused when it when he the ball sort of went across and it was flagged offside. I just don't understand what Lukaku was doing there from from our angle and obviously watched it back on highlights. Again, it's just... Well, you can't understand what uh, what Mr. Lukaku was having one of his clown days. Fortunately, I did say he can be a genius or a clown. Yeah, he was sort of having one of his clownish days where he wasn't quite at it. He was doing some of the stuff right, but not not all the time, not in the correct order, if you like. Where he he, he left stones for dead, and, and obviously just just made the wrong decision. Uh, and we've seen Lukaku do this before, and we've seen Lukaku bury it into the net. And uh, that was uh, certainly from Chelsea's point of view. I think really that was perhaps the the only chance he had in that in that first. Mm-hmm. Same question to you, Colin. Highlights of the first half? Yeah, well, obviously that was well. That was a bit of a nerve-wracking moment early on. Uh, it was quite a cagey half, really, wasn't it? I mean, Chelsea sat back. That they, they they had what, what, what in theory I guess was a three-five-two, but it, it was really um, a five. I don't know what you call it. Five-two-three, I guess, uh, when they were on the back foot. And um, uh, I say that was obviously the Jack Grealish chance. Which I thought was a more difficult one than it than it looked, um, but but you know he could have lifted it a bit, but he didn't have much room to work in. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, you know, it was a very cagey first half actually, and and actually we were saying at half time that hey, glad it went that way because um, it meant Chelsea were going to come out and do the same again in the second half, uh, which, which I thought gave us a chance because if we'd gone in one nil up and we could we had. A lot of half chances, but uh, you know, it, it, it certainly wouldn't have. Um, it, it wouldn't have been unfair if we'd gone in one, maybe two up. Um, we didn't dominate in the way that we dominated Chelsea down at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season, but we were in control of that. We, we were largely in control of that game, and uh, without really um, much in the way of Gormouth action, I guess there was a few. Uh, there was one, another incident where. Uh, I can't think who it was. Um, Grealish, I think it was, put the ball across the six, Chelsea six-yard box when he was free. Uh, and Sterling, uh, n- no one got to it. Sterling maybe was a bit slow to react or or, uh, or whatever, but it, it's one of those that perhaps a natural striker would have been attacking the back post and, and got on the end of. And um, I think, as far as I can... You know, it, it, often the games are quite feisty games. You know, remember the tussles that uh, Sergio Aguero and David Luiz used to have uh, and the bust-up between Fernandinho and Fabregas a few seasons ago. And uh, it was a fairly, there was a, a booking early on, Chelsea booking early on. But uh, on the whole, it was a fairly restrained, um, kind of cagey affair, really. Talk to me about Jack Grealish, right? Wow. It's a funny thing, actually. I mean, I didn't talk about the the, the lineup and, and what we've been doing, but Pep does some. He's he's like steady Eddie for a while, and then he'll just do something off the wall. I think earlier in the season, 
uh, both Sterling and Mares had been dropped. Uh, you know, they weren't figuring. Uh, and then there was, <laughs> you always get these um, rumblings and rumours and uh, murmurings when someone's been missing a few games. And then suddenly Peps brings them both back and they're on fire, you know, uh, and they become, in effect, undroppable. Um, so, and in this game, Jack he brought Jack Grealish back. So he, he but he he brought them back un, unexpectedly. And it's same with Jack. I was not expecting to see him start. Uh, I just didn't think uh, he'd been uh, good enough when he had been playing. And I, I thought a few others, uh, especially Gabriel Jesus, probably suited the the game better, where they would have to work really, really hard. Um, I think Gabriel Jesus has a little bit more pace as well. So I expected him him to be starting. So you know, I was surprised that Jack was there. Um, it's, it's, it, Jack divides opinion. Some City fans are saying he did he did really well. Some say he's doing all right. I just I think this is going to be a, a season where he has to find his feet. He has to learn, and he's learning what it's like. No disrespect to Aston Villa, but what it's like to play at a bigger club, a more successful club, a club where you cannot give the ball away. And Villa fans be lynching you for that. Oh, I don't mind. Uh, let them come up to Manchester. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm in a mood. It's uh, it's so cold. Let them come up to Manchester. Uh, up in the, uh, where I live, up near the, in the Pennines, they'll free freeze the what's it's off. So they'll be going back quick. No, but 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 Jack, Jack really so he um he hasn't learned that yet. He hasn't learned when to release that ball at the right time. There's a couple of occasions where he holds on to it. I think just a little bit too long. Because he wants to do something with it. Same with, uh, as I said, the same with Mares. Mares wants to make something happen for himself. He was used to that at Leicester. He was the man expected to make things happen. He's that same with Algeria, and, and Jack Grealish is the same. Uh, he was the same at Villa, but at City, it's different. You know, you've got to sometimes let that ball go a little bit sooner. There's one occasion where KDB had gone through. I don't know whether we call it the inside left. I'm not old enough to to know these terms so well, um, <laughs> but. He, he, he was like he was on the un, underlap, let's call it. And Jack Grealish just was out wide. He just had to knock it. He received it, took a touch, just had to knock it down for KDB, and he held it an extra touch, which gave I, I think the defender a chance to come across as well and and close off KDB's space. So I think he's he's still got a lot to learn. I think he'll learn that. I think he's good enough to learn that. He has to. Uh, we didn't pay all that that money, um, you know, for him not to be good enough. So I think he'll learn that. As it, as time goes on, I really wanted him to score that goal. Finally, I really wanted him to score. I think he he should have dinked it, should have just lifted it over the keeper because I think that would have absolutely sent his confidence through the roof. You know, scoring a goal against Chelsea, I think he he needs the confidence um, to, to have that a little bit of swagger, a, deser- a bit of deserved swagger. So it's a shame he didn't score. But yeah, you know, I've I've already marked him down as I'll give him the season to to start to get better and fit in. Um, so you know, I'll give him that time before I, I really late. If, he, if he's like this in a year's time, then I, I think I'll have some uh, some serious criticism uh, to lay at his door. We we had quite a big discussion about Grealish where I sit, and um, the, the lad I sit, Matt, the lad I sit next to, was saying that it was noticeable very early in the season that he Grealish was taking players on. Uh, which is what I thought we bought him for. You know, we can go past players. And, and we saw Foden do a run in the first half. I think it set the Grealish chance up, didn't it? Um, where he kind of slalomed through most of the Chelsea team. But but Grealish, certainly in the first half, was was kind of tended to get the ball, take a few touches and then um, pass it back to someone. Uh, and as Ray said, um, it, it's about, risk. you know, if you're not going to take the man on, 
you've got to be releasing the ball quicker in a pep team, I think. And um, one of the things that kind of bothered us uh, was that we were talking about the, the, the options. You know, when Grealish has got the ball, he's out there on the left. He's in close to the, the penalty box. Uh, you can do one of three things. You can you can take the defender on or you can um, pass the ball. Now, if you take the defender on, uh, one of two things could happen. Uh, well, one of three things, actually. You can get past him uh, and create something. You can uh, get past him and draw a foul, which hopefully gives you a penalty, though Grealish never gets these now he's come to City. Or you can be tackled, uh, you know, and that's fair enough. But at least you've opened up the options. But, but Grealish with this touch, 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 pass, um, he's not really giving himself those options. And, and someone was saying they think he's been told to do that, to stop taking players on, um, because it's so consistent now. I, I'd be interested to know. He was better in the second. He came out was much more direct, I thought, in the second half. And, and as Ray said, he will he will learn. Uh, it, it's taken virtually, up the, I think, the only player who's come straight in and made an impression from the start is Ruben Diaz. All the others, we're talking about Bernardo, we're talking about um, Mares, we're talking about, uh, well, uh, Loads of other players, really. Uh, I mean, Sterling to a degree as well, aren't we? Um, all of them. Rodri is another one. All of them. Cancelo. All of them have taken a season to settle in. So I, I absolutely agree. Let, let's give Jack Grealish a season. We, we know what he can do. We've seen on occasions what he can do. Um, and um, let, let's see what happens next season. But Colin, all those players that come from smaller clubs to a you know a, a real giant yeah. of well, the game. It, it, it's a different. You know, it's again, we were saying this, that you, you come into a pep team and it, it's a big learning job. You've got to learn the way pep plays and you've got to be quite intelligent to learn that. And without disrespecting Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp can get a team playing his his uh, gegenpressing system quite easily. You don't need to think too much to do that. You've, you've got Obviously, you've got to know when to press, how to press, uh, who to press. Uh, what you know, what to do when you've got the ball, what to do when you've not got the ball, but but generally you can learn that quite quickly. Whereas in a pep system, it will take a while. It, well, I mean that first season we were nothing, were we? Um, uh, and then it clicked into place. So um, yeah, it's, well, you know, you come from, yeah, it, it's a different. You, you, you kind of in a different stratosphere at Manchester City these days. Absolutely. Maras has come from Leicester to City. It's a big step up in, in terms of quality, in terms of what's expected of you, of what you're going to win. Even Diaz coming from, was it Benfica? It's a it's a step up at City. Um, everybody who's come, it's it's taken them time. Bernardo Silva, it was a step up from, where was he, Monaco? Raheem Sterling, wherever he came from, it's a step up to pay for a really big, <laughs> successful club. He came from Liverpool, actually, yeah. All right, oh, sorry, I, that slipped my mind. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> OK, uh, Bernard, tell tell me what you thought of uh, Chelsea and their travelling supports. Uh, what impression <laughs> did, they, did they make with you? Uh, well, I don't know, there was a bit of handbags outside <laughs> after the game, wasn't there? I don't, I don't think they took defeat very well, but, uh, yeah, interesting. It was nice to see them uh, bring back the inflatable craze. It uh, would have been nice for us to bring a few inflatable women and uh, bananas with us, I suppose, but uh, we didn't latch onto it quick enough, unfortunately. That, that's the problem, but... Uh, yeah, they're all right. Actually, they're quite they're quite noisy for a change. I mean, they're not usually that noisy at the Etihad. I thought they were they were all right yesterday. Actually, uh, obviously they must have done something 
uh, at the end of last season to warrant this sort of joy from their ranks, of course. But uh, yeah, hey, the Londoners aren't they, mate? I mean, I'm not going to speak too fondly of them. I don't, I don't even, even West Ham. I'm not overly kind to them, and they're supposed they're supposed to be our mates. But uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, uh, they, they enjoyed themselves. Whether whether as a, a 50, 60, 70 year old man, I would have waved an inflatable. Uh, symbol in the air. I'm not too. I'm not too sure at my age. I, I did obviously back in the banana days, but I think I would have left it to the kids. But uh, hey, they enjoyed themselves. It's just such a shame they didn't enjoy the game. But hey, so what? We don't care less, do we? Really, Ray? And um, possibly uh, you could uh, offer your opinions on the uh, television commentary um, because I think there was quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of comment on the commentaries. Um, I, I don't pay too much attention to the commentaries. I mean, some people, if they're not watching it, I mean, I've, I've got BT, so I, I, I was at home. I had to work uh, uh, in the afternoon and evening, so I, I couldn't go to the game um, um, uh, live. Um, so some people, they'll find a stream to watch it in anything else but the, the host country, uh, as in the UK. So if, it's, if Sky have got it or if um, BT Sport have got it, people will find a stream that's coming from America. Uh, it was NBC or whoever got it there. Some people are so disgusted and, and put off by um, the basically the English uh, commentators. They'll watch it in Arabic or any French or any language that they don't understand just to not hear the bias and the bile from you know these supposedly impartial uh, pundits and commentators. So it, it's 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 the usual thing. It's run of the mill. You know, it's happened for so long that, you know, uh, we're used to it. It's it's these digs that at, at the start, you just uh, you ignored them or you, you didn't make a fuss about it. But it's just constant. It's all the time. You know, they talk, they, you know, when they compare City and Chelsea, it's like it's like Chelsea never did what Man City did. Chelsea have gone down the same route. And, and, and actually, I would say City are better because uh, Roman Abramovich has, has loaned Chelsea so far about one and a half billion pounds. One and a half billion pounds. Tomorrow he could ask for that money back. It's unlikely, but he could do that. Whereas City have done it in a more, and obviously a more sustainable way. But we, we, you know, it's like Chelsea have become more of the establishment than City. And you know, the the time difference between the takeovers was about what six, seven years. So it's you know, it, 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 but it, as I said, it's been going on for for such a long time that we've got used to it. I think you've missed what I was actually driving out there, Colin, was um, I know what you were driving at. Yeah, yeah. Jim Beglin. What was what happened, Colin? Well, apparently I was at the game, obviously, but uh, I I heard afterwards that um, during the first half, Jim Beglin, I I think he works for the the Premier League production who do send send the stream around the the rest of the world. I I don't know who exactly he was. one of the co- one of the co commentators, but he referred to the empty had rather than the Etihad, uh, and he had to issue an apology for that, which he did apparently live on air and also um, via Twitter or something via social media. So I, I mean, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's symptomatic of the standard of the quality, as 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 Ray alluded to, the standard of quality of the broadcasters, particularly, you know, uh, particularly BT. But I don't think uh, Beglin was working for BT. Particular. I mean, even they wouldn't touch him. I, I don't like Jim Beglin as an analyst. I think he's inane, boring. Uh, he's Michael Owen with an Irish accent. And um, but but yeah, 
he, he made a bit of a slip of the tongue. Uh, you know, a lot of fans got a bit precious about it. He apologised for it. He made himself look an idiot. Um, does it hurt us? No, because, I mean, that's what other fans use. That's the term other fans use anyway, um, despite the we had the biggest crowd of the day yesterday. And uh, But, yeah, it's unprofessional. It's It's really unprofessional. But, you know, we've all said that thing. You know, we've all said something sometime that we should have kept to ourselves. Um, we, we've used the wrong word and, and or you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to get too cut up about it. And I thought the Chelsea infl- the European European cap inflatables, as they call them. Um, I must get one of these European caps because my head's a bit cold. Um, hey, I thought quite witty. Yeah, a good bit of football banter. All right, uh, Bernard, let's uh, turn to the second half. Uh, it was obviously a um, bit of a stalemate, as you uh, as you said. Uh, did City uh, re-emerge uh, with the kind of intensity and uh, drive that you were hoping for? Oh, it's funny. I mean, you did mention it before. I, I, I'm like you, uh, Mike. I think you said I thought I thought so. Colin, I can't remember who said it now. I thought Tuchel would be happy. Would probably play exactly the same in the second half, which would be a good thing for us. I was thinking that at half time, you know, because he plays more of that rubbish. We'll probably eventually breakthrough but they started actually quite brightly the second half and obviously uh, the one and only real chance Chelsea did have in the second half again fell to Mr Lukaku didn't it within uh, on the 48th minute so three minutes into the second half uh, and to be honest with you I, I thought it was going to be a goal because I thought Mr Edison had committed himself far too far too far out of his, of his you know me and the goalkeepers union I thought it progressed far too far into the up, up. Up his uh, up his eighteen yard box and <laughs> don't get that out the right way then, and <laughs> I thought Lukaku was going to score, but I, I think I think I, I mentioned or I think Ray's mentioned another thing. Uh, Lukaku is one of these guys. He's not very subtle. He's not very subtle, is he? And the fact that Lukaku did try to bury it, did try to hammer it, played to the fact of where Edison was positioned. So another striker would have probably done a little bit better, but obviously it was ideal. For Edison to pull off what looked like a tremendous save, and it was, but he had actually committed himself too far out of the goal. So, uh, fortunately, we got away with that. And um, we're going to obviously the guy's going to talk further on that. But that was really for me the only, the last real chance uh, I think Chelsea had, had in that half and on the 48th minute. So that again was just more of the same negativity from Chelsea. But a good save, good save by Edison. But I think we got away with it and the fact of the Lukaku, how Lukaku tried to finish it. I think he's not very subtle at the best of times. So I was grateful for that and, and well done, Edison, for keeping us, keeping it to nil nil at that stage. Uh, would you agree with that assessment, Ray? Absolutely. You know, can you imagine what I would suggest uh, a striker with a bit of a, a bit of guile, with a bit of a death touch, would have done there? You know, someone like let's let's throw his name out. Someone like Mo Salah, he'd have chipped him from that. I think from that sort of distance, Edison was was too far out. Um, so he he got lucky, but as, as Bernard said, he got lucky, but he he still pulled off a a, a pretty good save. Um, Lukaku should have been doing better, but you know you've got to. Take your. You're going to be thankful for for their mistakes. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't really get too many chances in the whole game, and that was probably uh, off the top of my head. Um, I think that was the probably the best one that they had. Um, so Chelsea were a bit better at the start of the second half, but I don't think it took us too long to get back into uh, you know the way we were playing in the first half and, and take control again. What about your thoughts, Colin? Yeah, I thought uh, Chelsea actually came out with intent, as Bernard said, for the first 10 minutes. Because it was noticeable from the start of the first half. Um, 
they weren't pressing. It was a, it was more of a medium to low block. So um, I think Diaz had the ball um, just outside the area, and none of the Chelsea front three came near him. Um, but I thought they came out um, with a little bit more intent at the beginning of the second half. But after about ten minutes, that seemed to drop off a little bit. I, I don't know, and, and they kind of whether they've forgotten the instructions or, or or that was the instruction, but they seemed to drop off a little bit. Uh, uh, and then they brought um, Hudson Odoi and um, was it uh, Perisic on? I can't remember. Or Mount? No, Mount came on later, didn't it? Um, and I thought, well, actually, now they're going to. It was just before the goal. I thought, actually, Burn they're going to open up and go off. for it. And um, it, yeah, that was interesting to see, actually, because um, it, I'm just trying to remember who it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, Hudson Odoi Werner. No, uh, Timo Werner yeah. came on. Sorry, no. And Ziyech um, and Pulisic, who'd been. Absolutely abysmal. They've done nothing whatsoever. Um, so, so I thought they're going to go for it, maybe uh, a, a little bit. But um, we, we kind of um, put, put to, took the wind out of their sails. Or, or something and Bernard, and uh, Bernard, I think uh, one person that um, that really helped that effort, <coughs> taking the wind out of the sails, was Raheem Sterling. I thought he had a great um, second half in particular. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously a bit like the old Raheem. He was, he was loving it, wasn't he, down down that right-hand side? Uh, you know, why it's his proper side, isn't it? He just loves loves playing down there. And uh, all right, the final ball wasn't always coming off. There's a couple across the face of goal, I think, as uh, Colin alluded to early on, when I think it's Grealish did one. I think Sterling was doing similar things as well, uh, getting that ball to the, you know, sort of whipping it across. Unfortunately, we didn't have, didn't have any guys there. So, again, it, it's a continuous improvement from... Raheem, I mean, there's a rumour that he's going to sign a new contract. Uh, I've not heard anything further to that. That was a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, and if he, if he carries on uh, in this vein, then yeah, we'll, we'll all we'll all be happy. And that's what we want to see. We want to see him back to back to his best. Uh, say not perfect by any means, but he, he did enjoy those those uh, up the right and made made the Chelsea defence uh, struggle a little bit, which was uh, very very good. What did you make of Raheem Ray? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he had a decent. Um... First half, actually, he skinned Alonso on in the seventh minute and uh, Alonso had to foul him about three times uh, before he, he got him down and got his uh, yellow card. And it was uh, nice to see a referee give a card early in the game because they, they, they tend to be low to do that. But, I mean, Alonso fouled him at least three times, so he had to do it. Uh, and it, it surprised me after that because... You could see that Sterling had the beating of Alonso for pace, that Sterling didn't keep running at him all throughout the game, trying to get him a second yellow card and sent off. So uh, that surprised me. But overall, I think he had a decent game. Uh, put, uh, like the guys have said, put some good crosses in, uh, went on a, a couple of good runs. Uh, I just want to see some end product now. I want to see, uh, I want to see some goals. I want to see some assists. You know, Because uh, at the end of the day, we want, we want some stats to back it up. It, it, it's all well and good. You know, being brilliant in in a game, but you've got to have you've got to have a, some sort of direct impact, and the best way to measure them uh, is uh, assists and goals. So that's what he's got to bring back to his game. Um, and right now, I don't care if they tap ins; just want to see some goals and assists. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think his confidence it will increase uh, every time he, he gets a goal or an assist. Colin, um, Kevin De Bruyne likes playing against Chelsea, doesn't he? <laughs> he certainly does, and I was going to say I don't think he had the great. I, I I don't think he had the greatest game yesterday, and I think it was on a par with many he's had for us recently. And I think um, uh, alongside him, Phil Foden um, 
again, uh, only show a few touches of what he's capable of. Um, both him and Phil Foden were, were disappointing uh, in the way they passed the ball, because no one is so good, aren't they? But, um, you know, there, there are a lot of passes that, that went astray from both of them. But uh, funny enough, we're, again, we were saying this where I sit and that, um, you know, around the kind of 65-minute mark, when Chelsea made their changes, thought there might be a change. But Kim De Bruyne is one of those players you don't take off because he's capable of something special, particularly against Chelsea. Uh, and, of course, like Cancelo fed him the ball. He, he he rode a tackle from, again, I think it was Rudica tried to have a go at him, or Kovacic, I can't remember which one it was. Uh you know, he stepped forward, he looked around, there was nothing else on, so we let fly and it flew into the bottom uh, far corner um, and uh, Arisa Balaga had no chance. And, and I say he hadn't, I don't think he'd had the greatest game up to them, but he only needed that one moment of quality from, from him or, or Foden and um, the game's won. Like, you know, the game has changed and uh, it, it was absolutely, you know, it was just, uh, and it was very similar to the one he scored a few seasons ago, wasn't it? Almost when he advanced, he was a bit more central uh, and advanced and let one fly. But uh, yes, he does uh, seem to have a point to prove against the t- uh, yeah, the Chelsea reject has a point to prove against his old club, doesn't he? What do you think about that one, Bernard? Foot like a traction engine, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he loves it, didn't he? I, I had an eye on him down for my anytime goal scorer, guys, I must admit, on because I just thought, well, these are the sort of games too, too good value to, to miss up on this because that's what he does. As Cole said there, he, he didn't have the greatest game. But these sort of games, I said to my lad at half time, I said, it's got to be one goal. It's one goal to decide this. He was he was saying 4 0. I said, no, it's just, just one goal now at half time. That's all it'll take. Um, and that's what I mean. It, it was so I loved the way as well because from our end, from from the south stand end, it looked as though the ball had gone more or less near the middle of the goal. I was a bit confused as to where Kepper was, uh, but obviously when you watch on highlights, he did go a bit more to the corner. But I think what 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 the problem with Kepper was obviously he was a little bit unsighted. Uh, so obviously he actually saw it a split second later than needed to, and he just didn't didn't have the time or was was wrong footed to get down get down properly. He got down to his left. I mean, as an old goalkeeper, I always wonder why I used to die when I knew I wasn't going to get it. But that's just that's just what you do. It, it doesn't matter whatever it is. You used to die anyway, even though you know, knew you weren't going to get to the ball. So when he dove for that, he, he knew he wasn't going to reach it. But you got you got to make the effort. But uh, KDB, absolutely, you can always rely on him. And I'm, I'm hoping that because he's, he's not been the greatest, has he? Like two or three of the players on and off. Uh, it's not been the greatest, but I'm hoping now that that'll just push him on to to another level for the for the next few games. Ray, it kind of like looked like he was looking for someone to pass to, um, couldn't find anyone, so he just thought, okay, have this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a great. I think we've got to mention Cancelo's part in this because it was a great first time pass to KDB, and it was just it just looked like a pass, but. It was so beautifully weighted that I think it was Kante was just behind KDB. And it it just went slid past Kante. Kante couldn't get there. And he ended up on the uh, wrong side of KDB. KDB was goal side of him. It was just, a, I think, a really, really uh, underrated pass. Um, and KDB, yeah, he got the ball, took it close. He, and he was, you're right, he was looking for somebody, looking for that assist because that's what he's good at. Um, and uh, there was no one to pass to. It opened up. And at some point, you know, you give um, uh, some of these continentals a chance, like uh, you know, let them get close to the goal, like Vincent Company and KDB. They can eventually shoot, 
and uh, he, he did he did just that. And uh, it, as as Bernard said, you know, the goalie was a bit slow, but unsighted, wrong footed, way on the wrong foot. Um, he was never going to get that. He, he had to, uh, I think, be better balanced or more um, equally balanced, or and and he needed to take a step. He needed to take a step to give him a launch pad to be able to stretch further. And he just didn't have the time. The ball was past him, you know. And there's a great picture. Uh, I think it must have been in one of the papers or somewhere on the sorry, on the internet today, of uh, the ball going in the net, flying into the net, and, and Kepper looking round as it went in. You know, so he knew he wasn't going to get there. He was just hoping it would go past the post. And I think, uh, you know, with an outstretched arm, he was probably waving goodbye to Chelsea's uh, title-winning prospects. Well, uh, <clears throat> Colin, uh, how comfortable do you think uh, City uh, saw out the game after the goal? There was about another 20 minutes left after that. Um, how, how comfortable were you? Um, Chelsea were, were obviously going to go for it. I, say, I thought they'd started to open up when they brought... Uh, Hudson Adoy and Timo Werner on um, just a minute before uh, KDB scored. And of course, then they had to go for it. Things opened up. Um, but I, I don't think they were ever a threat, ever a realistic threat. I don't remember. I, think they had a, I, I don't remember a chance that had my um, kind of a heart down in my mouth uh, for. Uh, and <laughs> again, it was they, they didn't just. They didn't construct anything particularly elegant. You know, when you, when you look at a team of that supposed quality of the money they spent, there was no elegance to the play. There was no style. The number of times they ended up hoofing the ball forward fairly aimlessly, either either a poor pass or just hoofing it forward. And, and we were laughing. We were calling on the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the Harrods version of Burnley or, you know, um, because it was, you know, the, defensively they were OK, but they were doing nothing going forward. And... Um, quite disappointed actually i mean they, they've not their the, the record recently is not a great one and and um you know uh, you do wonder if, if thomas tuckle has been found out a little bit because um i say they showed no elegance then they showed no guile they showed no craft they showed no intensity uh in those last 20 minutes that, that never never really um yeah, yeah i was a bit nervous of course but never really worried me that they were going to get anything out of the game what do you think of uh, Thomas Tuchel, uh, Bernard? He's a bit of a whirling dervish on the uh, on the uh, on the sidelines there, uh, a little bit like one of those inflatable characters, you know, with the long arms and long legs, uh, flailing about all over the place. But I think there's something to what Colin says: um, promising beginning to the season. Uh, but even back then, it looked like that they were the type that would maybe just grind uh, grind out uh, results, and not very exciting on the eye, are they? No, I mean, it's, it's just funny, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you'll think back to the three games last year we played against Chelsea. And obviously, our problem last year against Chelsea was pace. And yet, Tuchel just totally forgot about pace for this. I mean, it's as though he'd forgot about all the good things he'd done against us uh, last season, you know, hitting us on that pace. I say some of the some of the balls up, as Colin was saying, were just aimless punts up in the hope that someone... There's no build-up, no no balls through that, that middle that sort of caught us out flat-footed last, last season. And I remember back to the May game before the Champions League final, the, the home game, you know, they had the ball in the net five times, three of them were offside, but I mean, they, you know, they, they, they actually, it's a totally different team, it just looked a totally different team to me, obviously they played that that guy up front that I'd never heard of, uh, that, that they took off, ZX, ZX, whatever it's called, and I, I have no idea why he played, why Tuchel played him, to be honest, you know, a lot of Chelsea fans had no idea, and it's not as old, you know, they've been on a good run of form, as Colin said, I think they've now they've lost 
I think they've lost one, drawn four, and won one of the last six games. So they're not on a great run. And yet, Tuchel, I think he, he's, he sort of boxed went a little bit and he, he just for, forgot everything and went back to a, a, a quite a boring, you know, they would have been happy with the draw. They came for a nil-nil. Uh, they would have been happy still to be 10 points behind. And that, and that was his the main hope he had. He, he didn't have any real hope of getting anything else. And that's how he played the game. Unfortunately, uh, we, we actually managed to win, which is we, we thoroughly deserved. I think Tuchel said uh, he thought a, a draw would have been a fair result. I mean, I have no idea where he got that from based on <laughs> what we saw yesterday. They were absolutely awful. So, yeah, I was... I think Tuchel's stock is uh, certainly on the on the wane, uh, and perhaps even with Chelsea fans as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, yeah, you look at the results, as Bernard was saying, just looking at their results. They had a good run in October where they won all the four games. Um, mind you, they were playing Southampton, Brentford, Norwich and Newcastle. And then um, they drew it home to Burnley. They beat Leicester at Leicester. That's a good result. They drew it home to Manchester United, which is probably not a good result. They, they won at Watford. Uh, they lost at home. They lost at West Ham. They beat Leeds at home. So um, they they drew at home against Everton, which is a shocker of a result. They drew at Wolves. Uh, they then won at Villa, which was kind of a, a surprising result, really, given the the, the form Villa were in um, recently under Gerrard. They then drew at home to Brighton. Drew, uh, obviously, drew at home to Liverpool when uh, Liverpool should have battered them. Uh, and now they've lost to us. So it's kind of so from the beginning of November we've got. Drawn one, drawn one, lost one, drawn, drawn one, drawn, drawn, lost, uh, and and that is not uh, that you know that's nowhere near title challenging form, no, not not in a million years. And, and you look at the last two seasons. Like one of the things that was interesting, I was going to mention about when when Chelsea were waving those um, you know European inflatable European cups around, um, it, it, they finished fourth, nineteen points behind us last season. But when they won the, the Champions League, OK, that, that's fine. When they qualified for it the season before, if you remember, they only just scraped into fourth because Leicester went on that dreadful run. Leicester should have got fourth place. Uh, so Chelsea only got in the Champions League because of Leicester's failings. Uh, well, to be fair, they kept going. But um, they won that Champions League uh, having come fourth with 66 points the season they qualified for it. And um, that isn't good enough. You know, for a team of the that spent the money they they they've got that has the ambition they've got, uh, and, and you know we talk about the Glazers as they they're happy with fourth because they're they're in the Champions League. I I don't think Roman Abramovich is happy with fourth. Uh, I I think he, like like Sheikh Mansour, he wants to be competing for all the big prizes. He wants to be competing for for the Premier League, for the Champions League, for the cup, for the domestic cups. Um, I, I don't think there's any lack of ambition there. But two seasons coming fourth. Um, and, you know, a Champions League win uh, just masks the problem there. They're actually struggling a bit, aren't they, Colin? Because I think a few it wasn't so long ago that they were uh, uh, above sitting the table. And I think in, in the space of seven or eight games, it, it's it's totally changed in the 13 points behind. And actually, they should, be look, they should start to look over their shoulders because, you know, Spurs have got, I think, four games in hand over them. They can, if they, if they win them all, Going a good run of form, they'll they'll overtake them. You know, West Ham are not far behind. Um, you know, dare I say, even United. So Chelsea are actually, you know, if they carry on for for a, you know a couple more games like this, they, they might actually drop out the top four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you go back, I think we've said this before. If you go back to the first of December uh, last year, twenty twenty one, we played all we played fourteen games. Chelsea played 14, 33 points. Uh, we played 14, 32 points. 
Liverpool played 14, 31 points. Uh, and then West Ham, it was West Ham, Arsenal, uh, a little bit behind. Wolves, Brighton, Leicester, and Spurs, United, down in mid-table. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know why we want to talk about it, but, you know, it, people say, you know, City are boring. It's boring watching City. Where's the excitement? And, and you know, it's not our fault, as Peppers pointed out, that other teams can't maintain consistency. You know, m- money doesn't buy you that. Because you only have to look at United, you only have to look at Arsenal, and you have to look at Chelsea themselves. Money does not buy you results. You know you have to earn those results, and uh, we've earned them under Pep. Uh, we, in, in, you know, some some feel we're, we're, we're playing the best we've ever played under him, um, and it, you know it, it just shows up. You you might get away with you know you might get away with being inconsistent if you haven't got a Pep Guardiola team. Um, that's the, the, the setting the pace uh, and, and uh, setting the tone. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting one with Chelsea. That I, I think they're underperforming. I think they've, um, you know, they change managers. People say it doesn't matter. They change managers as often as Abramovich changes socks. And they have won things, but um, you've got to build at some point. You've got to build. And, um, you know, United have failed to do that. Uh, Liverpool have done it. To be fair to them, Arsenal are starting to do it. Uh, Spurs, to, to a degree, are doing it. But you know, it's um, one day that you know, one day maybe this season, as Bernard said uh, or, or Ray said, maybe this season their luck will run out and they won't finish in the top four. But that's not our fault. That's theirs. <clears throat> what do you think, uh, Bernard? Uh, title race done and dusted. For Chelsea, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I think the six points ahead of West Ham. On the same games, aren't they? But as I say, they've got, all the other teams have got games in hand on them, and uh, I think I think they're good enough for third. To be honest with you, I, I doubt. I mean, Tuchel's got to get a grip because if he doesn't get a grip, uh, you know, I don't put it past Abramovich to sack him uh, before the end of the season if he doesn't rest this little bit of a slide. And uh, say his stock is certainly going down at the moment, and we know what Abramovich is like. Uh, but obviously, they just I'm sure they've got some easier games to come up. They're not, they're not going to play City every week, are they? Let's be honest about it. Although, as I said, as Cole said there and I said before, they've not exactly set the world alight in the last six games. It's just that level of inconsistency. Uh, and I'm not too sure they've been affected by COVID that much to actually cause that inconsistency. I think it's just a, a general malaise around the place. And I think, I think they'll be all right. I think they will get better. I think they've got too many good players not to get better, but it might be, be in spite of Tuchel rather than because of him, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I still I still see Chelsea certainly top four and still perhaps hanging on to third, but they will have to start uh, putting a little run together and they've not quite accomplished that over the last uh, two or three months. OK, Ray, let's move away from, from uh, this game and uh, uh, look at... Uh, other issues uh, are around the league, other issues uh, not specifically concerning Manchester City. Anything uh, take your fancy from the various headlines? Mm, all right. Um, I think you might have to prod me if, you, if you've got anything. Mr. Um, Peters, I think, uh, was uh, one. Oh, Rafa, I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about, Rafa, when, when Colin mentioned about teams wasting money. Look how much money Everton have wasted on... You know, and and I, I was talking about this today uh, somewhere else. And you look, go back. What Everton needed to do at the start was get a quality manager in, and they've taken punts. Okay, they've taken punts. 
Uh, you might be thinking I'm talking about Liverpool fans there, but they've been taking punts, these uh, Everton uh, hierarchy, getting people like Silver in, getting uh, Koeman in, um, getting this clown Benitez. I, and I never thought he was going to work the, what, with what he was doing at Newcastle. He's too defensive. And, uh, you know, he's he, he's he's yesterday's man is Rafa Benitez. Um, but look what, you know, what they've spent on. Richarlison was about 50 million quid. Uh, Sigerson, 50 million quid. Iwobi, 35 million quid. They spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds. I said, the thing is, compare that to what City did in the early days. Yes, we had a, a, a little blip at the start, but we got Roberto Mancini in, pretty decent manager, quality manager it turned out to be. And in Mancini's first summer, we bought World Cup winner, David Silva, Champions League winner, Yaya Toure. We got, even though it wasn't a success at City, but subsequent success at Bayern Munich, Jerome Boateng. And we got uh, Kolarov, I think. I think we got Kolarov that that's, um, summer. So that's what, that's what City got. That's where the foundations were laid. Mancini's second summer, we got Aguero, uh, cliche, Stefan Savic, who Kevin? didn't succeed at City, but did all right elsewhere. Um, can't Kevin? remember. The, sorry? Tevez? No, we we already had Tevez. He came under Mike Hughes. We got Nasri as well. Nasri, we got Nasri as well. So we, you know, we got five or six players that were going to be able to play there for, for years to come. Quality players. We didn't, I don't think, overpay for them. Um, we paid decent money, but we got five or six real quality players. And actually, we got Owen Hargreaves as the other one as well. He came from United on a free, uh, but he was always croc. But um, that's been injured, nothing else. Um, but we got quality players that either made it at City or if they didn't make it, Savage made it, did all right. Uh, was it uh, Athletic, um, Atletico Madrid? <coughs> and Jerome Boateng did well when he went back went to Germany by Munich. So we were buying quality players and that's what Everton haven't done. They've thrown, you know, several hundred million pounds at this and now they find they haven't got the money. They haven't got the money to spend and they're scraping around. They're getting players on um, either cheap or free. Damari Gray, a few million quid. Andros Townsend. And, and these are their better players this season. So they're an absolute mess. They, you know, they really need... I think one of the problems is that uh, mashiri has got too much money and he's got the wrong people uh, advising him, um, the wrong people in charge, people, whoever's doing the transfer business. Um, you know, you some, sometimes you feel you've got to see who their mates with, which agents are, are getting good business or, you know, because why is their transfer policy so incredibly stupid? And, they, you know, they're paying so much for players who just aren't good enough. And now they sat there, was it six points off, off um, the relegation places? And, you know, with Leeds winning t- today, uh, Everton, uh, I think, stra- you know, straight in a, in a relegation battle and, you know, there's, there's people calling for Sam Allardyce to come and save them from relegation, uh, or <laughs> Allardyce. Sorry. Um, so yeah, they, they're they're a prime example of how not to do it and how other clubs do it, and and how that you know the fans are they will uh, fans from all clubs want to criticise City because that's a narrative that you see in the media. But at the end of the day, they'd love to have our managers, they'd love to have our owners, they'd love to have our you know, uh, the people in charge at City, everybody would love it. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, where it's our look, it's their hard look. And rather than just just be totally jealous about it, 
you know, um, actually give us some credit and and try and make and you know if you're going to do anything, try and push your own clubs to go about it in the right way. Uh, Colin Savage, anything interesting on the financial front? We had a few questions about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, um, City's accounts were released um, uh, towards the week, just before the weekend. I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday. And uh, uh, KPMG had kind of trailed this because they released a report talking about um, the the, the main European clubs. And the headline was that um, we'd overtaken United in terms of revenue. which obviously was a bit of a, a, a bit of a shocker. I mean, there, there, there are specific reasons for that. And uh, looking at such as the counts, our total turnover went up from uh, just over 480 million last year to uh, just over 570 million. But the, there are specific reasons for that. And, and one of them is quite complex, but, but um, money was held over from both the, the Premier League campaign and the Champions League campaign in uh, the 2019-20 uh, season, because the season was obviously curtailed due to COVID. That money was held over and paid back this year. So, so actually, revenues um, for those teams who were in the Champions League and, and Premier League teams were were slightly inflated this year. Um, I could probably work it out accurately given time, but uh, I reckon that uh, UEFA. Uh, I mean, we received just to go over the figures. We received just under 115 million pounds from UEFA. Uh, and that was a season where we got to the Champions League final, so we're runners up. Uh, normally, I think that would have been about the hundred million pound mark, um, and so, so I think we we gained about fifteen million because of the holdover from uh, the nineteen uh, twenty season. In the Premier League, our revenues were one hundred eighty two million, one hundred eighty three, well, one hundred eighty two point seven million, uh, and normally they would be in the region of one hundred and fifty million. Uh, and to make that point, the, the year before 2020, it was 123 million. So when you add the two together, it's 305, 306 million. Uh, so it would have been about 153 million in a normal year. So again, we're, we're about 30 million up. So so we've got about 40, 45 million in additional money that that accrued from 1920. Now, now of course, the downside is we had no no one through the door, uh, or, or very few. For, through the door apart from the last game so so that knocks about 55 million off our normal um operating uh, our normal revenue so so we're up about 45 we're down about 55 uh so so actually that 571 million probably should have been 580 million something like a 580 585 million uh commercial income was was up about 10 percent so 246 million to 271 million uh, no idea if any any of that was held back or or, or repaid. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but but anyway, it's up. So uh, perhaps in a, you know if it had been a normal year with with full crowds the whole year, we'd be looking at uh, 580 odd million, 580 million plus. Uh, but we turned in 570 million. Now of course we we've got expenses and um, our operating expenses were just under 485 million, which leaves us um, about. Uh, 87 million operating profit and then uh, amortization of players fees of 145 million takes us down to a a, a net loss before uh, player profits of uh, just under 60 million which which is it was 120 million last season so um, nothing too concerning there uh, and we usually do make that loss uh, 40 50 million uh, which we then uh, rescue with profits on on transfers, and, and this 
season this year, it was 68 and a half million that we, we made on transfers. So so that gave us about 10 million and then uh, knock off interest and subtax tax, taxation left us with a, an overall net profit of just under two and a half million. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, we were told we would return to profitability. Uh, and, and again, much of that has come from uh, profit on sale of players. Uh, that will include the Lero Sane sale. Uh, I think that would be about 40 million of that. And, and we've sold others, of course. Um, so, yeah, so, so that was um, after last season's big loss, which we expected, uh, you know, a nice return to a small profit. Uh, wages were, were pretty static. So uh, 355 million compared to 351 the year before. So nothing much has happened there. Um, if you look at um, uh, City themselves don't publish a cash flow statement. Cash flow statement is always interesting because you see where the cash uh, is gone, basically. Uh, and what's not generally realised is, I mean, football clubs like City, United, Liverpool generate a lot of cash because uh, we only made a 2.4 million profit. But um, I say just £145 million worth of amortisation of player contracts. Uh, as part of that. And that's not cash we've directly paid out. Of course, it is cash we've paid out for transfers, but it, it's it's an accounting figure. So so really what you've got to do is add some of these figures back to um, to the profit uh, and do one or two other little adjustments. Uh, you can get to a reasonable approximation of how much cash we actually generated. And, and, and this year, it's got to be around the 130 million mark. So, so you know, when you take all the cash in, you pay all the cash out in wages and other operating expenses. We've got a pile of cash, uh, probably worth around 130 million left over. And that pays you with transfers, of course, largely. So, um, and that's before you take any incoming transfers into account. So, so it's quite possible uh, when you think of, of Lero Sane, one or two other players we've sold, we'd have had a transfer pot probably close to um, 190, 200 million pounds cash. So, so when people criticise us for paying 100 million for Grealish, you've got to look at it in the context of th- this cash pile that's sitting there, which we may use for other things. We may use for infrastructure or or, or, or whatever. But but uh, that that cash pile is available for reinvesting in the squad, and we reinvest very heavily. We we almost reinvest all the cash we generate, not just from player sales, but from operations. We reinvest all that cash in the squad. Uh, which, which which a club like Liverpool doesn't. A, a club like Spurs only reinvests the money it gets from sales, uh, player sales. So all that I'm not sure where all that cash they've they, they've got over the years has, has built up, but um, we 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 reinvest virtually every penny we generate either through operations or player sales or other sources. We reinvest that money in our squad, and it shows. Uh, uh, and when you look at the obviously this is a um, end of June 2021. So uh, we bought Grealish um, after that. But uh, the squad at that point was valued at, um, sorry, the total cost of the squad, just the original cost of the squad, um, which would include things like um, agent fees and other and so uh, was 975 million, according to the accounts. Then you've got, you've got to add on Grealish. Uh, so that takes it to 1,075 million. I think uh, obviously Torres is gone. Torres cost us money, so again you can knock off about the twenty million he cost us. Now, now there's one. There is one interesting thing in terms of players because um, obviously, uh, as we explained, you buy a player fifty million, you write that off over five years, ten million a year, uh, and and um, that that's your 
uh, amortization. So the player is left with what we call a net book value. So at the end of that end of the first year, that 50 million pound player, 10 million amortization, he's worth on the books 40 million, and then 30 million the next year, 20 million the next year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, um, under uh, as Ray will uh, confirm, under uh, accounting standards, if you have an asset, you don't think you can that basically it's not worth the money you've got it in the books you you have to write it down so for example if you've if if you're a food retailer and you've got a load of stock which has gone out of date you can't sell you've got to write that off if you're a you know uh, um clothing companies stuff out of season they'll sell cheap write off in the accounts um because otherwise you're overstating your profits uh, and we do that occasion, very occasionally do that with players so uh, you know for example if we spent a lot of money on a player and he was injured You'd probably write that money off if he wasn't going to come back. Uh, and, and in this uh, set of accounts, there is an impairment charge of 18.7 million uh, net book value that we've been written off. And um, almost certainly, well, it, it is certainly because the figures match. It, it's uh, Monsieur Mendy. Uh, and basically, we've written him off. So, so, so we're effectively saying we don't expect him to appear for us again. Uh, and, and we've written his total net book value off in one go. So um, that's actually will have affected our profits uh, to, to a certain degree. Um, so, so when you take all that into account, you add Greeley, Sean, and you knock off the cost of Mendy, you knock off the cost of Torres. Our squad is probably the total cost of our squad. And that, and that includes, uh, we're not doing the women here, I don't think, but the, 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 the men and the EDS and, uh, and all the youngsters. Uh, the total cost of that spot is, is, is around a billion pounds. Now, um, ju just the last thing, really, is um, the other interesting thing is the money we owe and are owed for transfers uh, because we don't, uh, you know, no one pays cash these days because everyone pays in installments. It's big numbers, which kind of helps inflate the market a little bit. I think if you had to pay for transfers all at once, the market would not be quite what it is. But um, last year, at this, uh, when the accounts were published, we were owed 66 million by other clubs for transfers. Uh, and this season it's half that. So it's oh, just under half that, 32.4 million. However, we owe, uh, in, in 2020, we owed 73 million. And um, at June, we owed 103 million. So that would have gone up, of course, with British um, <coughs> uh, transfer, presumably. So, um, yeah, we owe a lot of money on transfers, but we've got a billion pound squad. And that's not the value of the squad. That's simply its original cost. So, so yeah, it's um, in terms of finances. Yeah, again, it's a funny year. We beat United. Uh, and the reason we beat United, because they didn't get anything from the Champions League. Uh, also, they um, I think they would have um, lost money on some sponsorship contracts. Uh, oh, yeah, because they ran the Chevrolet on one on for, for free. So uh, and there was no. Match day income. So United's match day income would be double ours, 110 million compared to our 55. So next year, it depends very much on how the respective clubs do in the Champions League. If we win, if we win it, United go out in the in the last 16. It'll be very, very, very tight in terms of finances. But if they don't qualify for, uh, for the Champions League for next season's Champions League this season, then um, uh, in the 2023 financial year, almost certainly we will overtake them again. So, I mean, uh, you know, we, we always looked at United's finances and thinking, you know, that's the kind of the gold standard. That's what uh, that that's what makes them so um, powerful as a club. But uh, as we've seen recently, money does not automatically buy success. But 
you know, the chances are in that, well, we have overtaken them. It's been a fuller year for various reasons. But even if you added the, um, even if you added the crowds back in, you know, if you added another 55 million to the difference, they were 75 million behind us on turnover. Even if you added that 55 million in, it'd still be behind us. But say it's a, been a full year, this one, and it won't be clear until next year and the year after how things are going to unwind. But th there is now a, a very realistic opportunity that we will overtake them on a long term basis. You're saying, Colin, that you know, this could be a long term thing that we we're ahead of United. But, you know, obviously they've got that that um, match day income to come back, which will, you know, which will, I think, catch them up about. You know, sixty million quid because I think they get and they're getting a few thousand more seats in the squeezing some more seats in 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 Old Trafford. Uh, it's like a viewing gallery in your toilet, isn't it? You know, right at the top, it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> but they, but they could but look. They'll charge top dollar, so you know they'll get some more money out of that. Um, right. And then the, there's other. I think that the, the other sponsors that you know, when there was no foot, um, crowd there, they take you know held back some of the money. I think that'll come through. So. You know, but they'll still it'll still be neck and neck, though, won't it? It, it, it well, it's, it depends very much on the Champions League this season. Yeah, like I say, if we go all the way and we win it, uh, and they go out to where is the plane? I can't remember. Um, if they go out at, at, at this, you know, not first knockout stage, then I yeah. think it will be very very tight. But you know, if they if their league form carries on, if they don't finish in the top four this season, they won't be in the Champions League next season. Um, and then we will be ahead again, I'm pretty sure, regardless yeah, of Atletico Madrid, aren't they? So that's not a gimme, is it? Sorry? They're playing Atletico Madrid. Oh, I think, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, they've got more chance to go. I think they've probably got uh, you know, more chance of going out than we have. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, that that diff that could make uh, about a 60, uh, 50, 60 million difference, potentially. Yeah. So, um, well, Colin, you know, we met obviously United. Is there, is there any other like Liverpool? Is there any clubs that can get anywhere near about Chelsea? They build a new stadium. Arsenal, obviously, they start keep improving it. Are they miles behind, or will, will they ever take, sort of catch us up or take us over? As we always mention United, of course, and that's the gold standard, as you said. But uh, is there any of these other teams, the Liverpools of this world, can can do a similar thing? Obviously, yeah. run run better and reinvest the money, which they don't do. But yeah. you know, are any of them likely to do it in the next three or four years? Um, the, well, uh, Chelsea have a much smaller stadium. Um, so I'm just looking at Liverpool's accounts now. So they've not yet uh, they've not filed their 2021 accounts yet. So I'm just looking at what they did last year, which is when they won the Champions League. Just trying to think, 2021 the year. So their I say 2020 again was a funny year, but yeah, they, they, you know, then their turnover was 490 million in in 2020 uh, compared to our. Uh, what was it about the same? So yeah, slightly higher than us in 2020, but they'd won the Champions League and we'd gone out early, of course, and that's the difference it makes. So uh, yeah, um, uh, Liverpool. Yeah, you know, again, it's about how you. Literally, it's all about uh, the Premier League is very egalitarian. You finish in the top four, there's nothing much in it. You're talking under the current contracts about 150 million a team, and I think it's about. Two and a half million per place. So, so for so if the top club may get about 155 million, the the team in fourth place will get about 145 million. So, so there's not much, not that much in it. The problem with Liverpool is it's their commercial income. So, just looking at their accounts, and 
it's an interesting. I was having to go at some Liverpool fans uh, about this. Um, so, so their commercial income is two hundred was in two two hundred twenty was actually not that far behind two hundred seventeen million uh, compared to our two hundred forty six million. So again, it's thirty million short, thirty million short of ours. But something that Liverpool fans often throw at us is how does you know how come City live? You know, we us in United have got much bigger fan bases. How does City generate the commercial income? It must be fake. Uh, and we know some of that comes from, you know, we know about 15% of our total um, income revenue comes from Abu Dhabi related companies. That, well, mainly Etihad. But the thing, I, again, I always counter with is if Etihad suddenly decided to, to stop their sponsorship, would we have any trouble finding one of a similar value? We wouldn't. I, I, would, I wouldn't have thought we would have because, we, you know, we've been top consistently for the last 10, 11 years in the Champions League. We've been winning. You know, we, we've never, uh, apart from, uh, Pellegrini's last season, we've never finished out the top three in the last few years. Um, you know, and, and it's not about how many fans you have. Your commercial income is not fan-based. You know, you're not selling to fans of, of the club. You're selling to a worldwide audience that's watching the Premier League, that's watching the Champions League. And the team who is most successful in those competitions, the team who appears most consistently, will get the most commercial income. And if Liverpool think there is bigger clubs, uh, Liverpool are as big a club as they think they are, their commercial income should be higher. Because United is about, I think, 270 something, was 270 something million compared to Liverpool's 217. So if Liverpool think that they're on a par with United, well, they clearly aren't. So either the commercial team isn't doing as good a job as ours and, and, and United's has done, or perhaps that they're not that bigger, they're not that bigger draw as they think they are. Um, you know, we know we've got we know they've got a big global fan base, but um you know, per- perhaps say their commercial team is not quite as good, and perhaps they're not as well perceived as um, you know. Perhaps there are negatives about Liverpool. You know, perhaps sponsors don't want to be associated with Standard Chartered, or always in the financial press being sued or fined for money laundering. Um, perhaps they don't want some of the uh, association with um, event. Let's say events in Liverpool fans pass. Um, you know, including the coach attack on our, and didn't they do it to Real Madrid as well? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe sponsors don't particularly want to be associated with that. Um, we, we don't know, but that's where they lose out on, on commercial income, and um, because in terms of match day, they slightly get slightly more than ours. Uh, well, they actually get about thirty million more than us. Um, yeah, and they've got redoing redoing the Anfield Road end, aren't they? So they're going to add another what six or seven thousand yeah, their capacity yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, so yeah, it's it very much dependent on how you're doing the Champions League. Is is the uh, as I said at the start of this that that is the key determinant. If, if one team doesn't do well, uh, you know, if a team doesn't get in there at all, like United may not this season, then um, uh, that that will make a huge huge difference you know could make 60 70 80 million difference to the accounts um and and that is as it always was you know that's why the top four stayed the top four before we came along because they had the champions league money it wasn't quite as much as we got these days but it was enough to make the difference between them and the other teams so yeah um we'll see what happens i say next year it could be united could could slightly edge it if they you know it might be nip and tuck, but you know the year after, as I say, if United don't get into the Champions League, it, well, if any of the big four, if Liverpool were to drop out the top four, I can't see it, or Chelsea were to drop out the top four, you know that would impact their that would impact their uh, income. 
dramatically. Probably a good place to stop. Uh, Bernard, were you just about to say something? No, it's no, me. Uh, it doesn't matter. Perhaps before we go, we just, just obviously, I like the way Pep uh, works over the COVID with the 11 fit play. We get 11 fit players, we'll, we'll play a game. And obviously, other teams not far away down the East Lanks uh, fake COVID tests to get out of games, don't they? So, I mean, we get called all sorts of cheats and dirty by uh, fans and media alike, but uh, they should be looking at these other teams, perhaps, who are up there, the, the favourites of the media and the favourites worldwide, uh, obviously, for faking this sort of stuff. We get on, City, get on with it, guys. I mean, I don't get what, care what anyone says. We seem to try and do it the right way. We get on with it. We still get slagged off, but I think, uh, I know the FA have launched an investigation into these fake COVID uh, tests at uh, Liverpool, but I'm, I won't hold my breath on that one, That that's for sure. It was the EFL, wasn't it? Because it was the Carabao yeah. Cup they got postponed. And of course, the, yeah, I mean, they, they got the same people doing the coaches' back, uh, investigation. We've got no chance, have we? Let's face it, finding anything wrong with Liverpool. But uh, it, I just like the way we're doing, we're doing dealing with COVID on a on a positive basis, and, and from a, a management point and point of view, uh, we don't always do things right. Of course, we don't. We know that. But uh, I'm just happy that you know we can feel that our club's doing it at the moment the, the right way and, and I'm pretty chuffed about that Sad news a couple of uh, City fans have died recently uh, was it at the game after the game yesterday after the game yeah, near, near the to, wasn't it uh, a, a bloke called Oggy Paul Ogden yeah uh, Oggy. yeah he died uh, they obviously didn't manage to resuscitate him he died of a cardiac arrest uh, on the steps near Asda I think uh, after yeah. the game very recently because I Saw some some comments and pictures, so obviously we we pass our uh, condolences on to their friends and family. Well, that that was a, that was a sad uh, 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 note there. But um, looking at the overall picture from a city fans a city fans point of view, everything uh, is looking very positive, as uh, as uh, Bernard said. Um, it's interesting, yeah. These uh, COVID tests it started off legitimately, I thought, and now teams are just using it as an excuse. Because maybe they've got a few injuries and it's a you know a way to get out of um, playing the game. None of that bothers us, guys. We're top of the league, sitting pretty. Everything's swimmingly humming along uh, for us. And uh, we hope it continues in that way. So uh, what's next up, Bernard, for Man City games-wise? Yeah, trip, trip down to Old St Mary's, the, my very, very first visit ever. I never went to the Dell, uh, and this is the very first time I've been to Southampton, so I'm looking forward to it. Southampton away, tw- uh, 5.30 kickoff. Uh, so obviously not too bad, I suppose. It could have been worse uh, next Saturday, and then we have a little break after that, don't we? So let, let's win that. Let's uh, let's stick that and get, get the three points there and enjoy a little break before the return of the FA Cup. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, we'll leave it there. You've been uh, with us for um, a bit over the hour, um, and uh, I think that's probably a good uh, place to stop. So we'll uh, we'll just thank the lads, starting with Ray. Thank you very much for coming on, Ray. Always a pleasure, Michael. Okay, you can get back to your bed now. <laughs> Colin Savage, thank you very much. It's a pleasure, uh, as always, and uh, I may well bump into you down at Southampton, Bernard, because I'm going down. And thank you very much, Bernard. Yeah, always a pleasure, never a chore, mate. Thank you very much. All right, guys, let's leave it there. And uh, we'll uh, speak to you again uh, shortly after the Southampton game, if not before. And we'll just uh, finish it off here in the normal way by saying, have one of us and up those blues. <laughs>